Hey guys, welcome to episode 10 of Identifying the False Prophet. This is the Honor of Kings podcast and I'm Lee. Um, been a few days since we got a, an episode out and that's because my wife and I took a little uh, holiday, if you will. It's been a couple days in Baltimore in the Inner Harbor and then went out to uh, wet and wild West Virginia, did some mountain hiking, played in some rocky rivers, um, just had a good time and a little bit of rest. And now we're back. Um, I expect there to be two episodes left of this series, and then we will conclude season one. Um, take a few weeks off before I get back into producing season two. In season two, we will talk about the sanctuary system. I've talked about it all this season, but never got to it. Um, so we will do that. Now that, that one is understanding the sanctuary system you know, helps you understand everything about Jesus and his life and his ministry and, and your role um, as a follower and everything. It's understand that sanctuary system is humongous to all of this. So we're going to get into that. Um, I've been feeling led to break down Matthew 24 and get some of that Jesuit theology of what people are saying that stuff means out of there. Um, we'll probably do a Nimrod episode. Um I have a few other things that I'm, I'm thinking about doing, but that'll be season two. Today we're on the Word of Faith movement. We last did uh, New Apostolic Reformation. These groups are very similar. Um, they're under the same umbrella. Um, so there's some slight tweaks to it. But again, as we pointed out over and over and over, these people all intermingle. You will have prominent Word of Faith pastors speaking on prominent uh, New Apostolic Reformation stages and vice versa. It's a thing. They, they all correlate and mingle around with one another. So, But before we get into our study, um, there's a couple things I want to go over. And so on the housekeeping front, I noticed in the last episode that I called Benny Hinn, Benny Hill. Now, obviously, that was just a misspeak, but... At the end of the day, it holds up as accurate enough, doesn't it? Um, if you don't know who Benny Hill was, he's a, a British television uh, comedy star from like the 60s and 70s or 70s, 80s. Um, and he had kind of a ridiculous, raunchy uh, kind of show that was on late night here in America, you know, and all the junior high kids and stuff would try to stay up real late and so they could watch it or whatever. Um, but it was, it was a very raunchy, trashy show. But the sad part about it is you're probably better off watching an hour of Benny Hill than you are watching an hour of Benny Hinn. As ba that's how bad Benny Hinn is. So, but anyway, I wanted to correct that misspeak that it was Benny Hinn, not Benny Hill. And then I would also like to reinforce our position on worship from the last episode. Um, now, as stated, the music from Bethel, Hillsong, and Elevation, you know, plays on what God does for you, but we are to worship our Father um, because of who He is, the Creator, and because of His character, not because of, of what He does. And, but after recording that episode, I felt like I didn't support this point. So before we start today's subject matter, I just threw a couple verses in here just to reinforce it a little bit, right? So um, we'll look at first at Revelation 4, 11. 
Scripture says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. So Revelation is saying, Lord, you are worthy to receive this glory glory and honor because you created all things. Not because you blessed us, because you're our creator. That's why you're you're worthy. Um, Psalm 96.5 For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And many times, you know, so many times the Lord speaks of worship, false worship. He reminds you who the creator actually is, who the one that has the power is. So and a lot of times when you're looking through these scriptures and God's talking to one of the prophets about his people and the people are off making golden calves and worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and all these other things, almost always he he brings up, he makes a reference to being the creator, not the blesser. That's what he wants to be known for. That's what he wants to be recognized for. He wants to be acknowledged as our creator and worshiped as such. Um, and like I said, you see it over and over when he's talking about some other God, he points that out. He doesn't say, hey, I'm the one that does this for you and I'm the one that does that for you. He says, this is who I am. Now, Isaiah forty twenty five says, To whom then will we liken or will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatest of his might, for that he is stronger in power, not one faileth. So again, Lift up your eyes and behold who has created. Uh, Isaiah 45, 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us. And not we ourselves, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 95, 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And there's many, many, many more. I just grabbed a, a, a handful of them to just emphasize that this is about creation. So is the Sabbath. Worship and the Sabbath, they're about creation. So, but to me, scripture is clear. He's to be worshiped as the creator of all things. Worshiped for who he is, the only true God, for his character. Many of these verses and many others are coming from a perspective of his people worshiping other gods. I just actually said that. Uh, But we have a jealous God and he wants our affection. Not because of blessings, not because of protections, um, not for comforts that he offers, but for who he is because he is a jealous God and he doesn't want us following other gods. Now, when that is what you are worshiping, the blessings and the comforts, then you are caught up in receiving stuff rather than standing in awe of his transcendent, transcendent majesty. So now you would see in uh, Exodus 16, uh, the people practicing the Sabbath which is worshiping him as creator of heaven and earth, 
before the Ten Commandments were actually given to Moses. This is more proof that, one, the Sabbath was here from the beginning, and two, we are to worship him, not his works. So, and I would be remiss if I did not include Revelation 14, 7. And to me, this is the big daddy. Saying with a loud voice, this is the three angels' messages, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made the heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Let me say that again. Give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Um, Revelation 14, 6 through 12. These are the three angels' final warning messages to mankind. This is a direct link to Exodus 20 and the fourth commandment, which, you guessed it, is a memorial to creation and therefore a memorial to the Creator. Now, everybody should study Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12, until you wear those pages out. I'm going to say that again. Everyone should study Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12, until the pages fall out of the book. Um, And again, this verse does not say, worship him who helped you get a promotion Worship him who bore your infirmities. Worship him that gave you his only begotten son. It says, worship your creator. The other things matter, especially the John 3.16 part. But this isn't what he wants to be worshipped based upon. John 3.16 is something to be eternally thankful for. Literally. And we must appreciate it. And in no way am I saying that he gave his only begotten son. Doesn't count. It's just not what he wants the focus of worship to be. And um, does not the creator have every right to expect his created thing to do what he wants, the way he wants it done? Yeah, he does. He sure does. Um, now I want to I talk about another something that uh, came up and has just kind of been on my mind. And that is the altar call. The altar call. Um, I wish I'd have brought this up during the music part of our Bethel episode, um, but I didn't, so here we go. Now, most of you, you know what the altar call is. At some point during the service, typically at the end, but sometimes after worship music, the pastors call people to accept Jesus Christ. They call them up to the front, to the altar. Now, these days, that usually involves a sinner's prayer. Now, on its face, this is not a bad thing. But as with anything, it really depends on how it's done. Now, first thing I will say about this altar call is I defy anybody listening to this to find concrete scriptural evidence that we are to do this, that we are to do this altar call. And the truth is, you will not. But let's look at it a little further. What is an altar? It's a place for sacrifice. An altar is where you sacrifice something. So the first altar that I can think of, I'm not carving this in stone, and I did not go to look. It's just the first one that comes to mind for me in the Bible is the one that Noah's commanded to build after the flood. Um, that's the first time, and he, and he was to sacrifice clean animals upon it, right? So when you accept an altar call, 
in its truest form, you are saying you're ready to sacrifice, because it's an altar, you're going to sacrifice your life to Christ. You will die to self. Um, but usually that sinner's prayer that the pastor leads you through doesn't usually include that part, does it? That's your sacrifice. The things that you have to do. The things that don't sound pleasant to you to do this. Because being a Christian is hard. Yes, Jesus' yoke is easy. But being a Christian, especially in the inner, it can be hard. You know, and so they don't they don't bring that stuff because they want it to be easy. Because just like in Second Timothy, people are going to heap up for themselves teachers that are going to say what they want to hear. Um, so... Um, most of the time that that sinner's prayer will not have that in there. Um, they'll say, you, they'll tell you, you, know, you say this prayer and you're good. You know, that's good. Now you're part of the team. You're, you don't have any worries the rest of your life. Yeah, you'll have problems and stuff, but you're going to heaven because you said this sinner's prayer. And then some people say, oh yeah, and the Holy Spirit's in you at that point. You get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is clearly scripturally, foundationally stated in the Bible that that happens on the laying on of hands at baptism. So this altar call can be very, very, very misleading. And uh, like we've talked about before, once saved, always saved is not a thing because it requires you to do certain things. It, it requires you to become holy, become separate. It requires you to work on your sanctification in partnership with the Holy Spirit um, and to repent, turn away from active lifestyle sins. Um, so, you know, this once saved, always saved, you say the sinner prayer, you're good. That's, that stuff's not true. Um, now, this practice got to start in the 1700s during what is called the first great awakening. Um, but it's not exactly the way we, we see it today, but that, that was the foundations of it. And in the 1800s, a Presbyterian, pa Presbyterian pastor named Charles Finney Tweaked it, tweaked it a bit. That's all, folks. Um, tweaked it a bit. He wasn't really much of a classic Presbyterian. Um, he was against the Reformers' theology. He hated Calvinism. Um, and he, most people considered him a New Thought Presbyterian, which to, and today, if you said it that way, it would probably mean something else. But back then, it was kind of more like a non-denominational thing, really. Um, he was a pragmatist. He believed that the ends justified the means. So it means he could do whatever he thought was necessary to bring souls into the church. As long as they accepted Christ, it was worth it. Now, in his day, the Methodist groups had what was called the anxious bench. And this was a place for unbelievers in a service, typically in the back. But it's kind of, you know, they sit back there. Everybody in the congregation knows they're not believers. It's like a scarlet letter being put on them. They are giving, given special seating. They're not allowed to sit with the believers. They have to sit on the anxious bench. Um, now Finney, Charles Finney, he took this bench concept to the extreme and he moved it to the front of the congregation. This way he could stare at those people on the bench and intimidate them into accepting Jesus Christ. Now Finney was reputed to have these crazy piercing eyes kind of like Rasputin or something and but he would scare people he was an imposing man I guess he would scare people into accepting Christ now clearly that is no way to salvation 
Because, you know, I mean, you got to believe in Jesus. You can't just go up there and, you know, say, say you believe just because you're afraid of the guy looking at you, obviously. But somewhere along the line, the sinner's prayer got added to this setup. And that would be during the evangelical ministry of 33rd degree Freemason and Pope lover, Mr. Billy Graham. He is the one that instituted into the popular uh, popular culture the altar call. Now, other churches would take notice of him doing this because, of course, he's on TV. But his numbers were swelling. His church was just blowing up, bursting at the seams. And so you can look at Billy Graham and his altar calls, the birth of what you can call the numbers-driven church, you know, where we turn churches into meat markets. It's an industry. It's a corporation. It's a business, just like your churches today, wherever you go. It's a business. It's trying to bring wallets in the door. Now, the thing to consider that when people are invited up to this altar call, right, and typically they're invited after an extremely emotional sermon or after an emotional worship session. Now, it can happen it can happen, um, not before, after, excuse me, can happen after your sermon or it can happen after the music. Either way, but you're lathered up in your feels. You know, you're in your emotions, right? Um, and remember what it said about sensual earlier in the last episode. When we, when we looked at what sensual means, it meant in their emotions or in their emotional state. So, um they get you get you lathered up and in the moment and you're you got tears coming down your face and but you don't really still don't understand what being a follower of Christ is. You don't know, you just know that the pastor or the song or whatever touched a chord in your heart and now you're crying and you're emotional or whatever. And that results in spur of the moment confessions of faith, which aren't usually actually rooted in any conviction, right? So now an altar call is okay. That's fine if it's on the up and up. The pastor needs to give the full meaning of accepting Jesus Christ up front. You know, he need what being a follower of Christ really is. It's not just saying this prayer. This they need to understand what they're signing up for. But given without full understanding of the surrendering party and after a trigger event like a powerful sermon or worship session. Um, this leads converts that they can be easily duped, moldable. Um, they can fall victim to heresy, or they can actually never really act, actually become rooted in the church and be rooted in Christ because they never really believed what they were doing to start with. Um, uh, so, and, and as since Billy showed how you can grow massive numbers with this altar call, then guess what? Any new apostolic reformation church or word of faith church that's trying to build a takeover army would do. Same thing, the altar call. Now, obviously, I think for most pastors, it's a sincere thing, but it's pointless. People don't understand what it all means. And studies have shown, even ones that focused on Billy's church, that the majority of the people who take an altar call and it's a big majority, who take an altar call or out of the church within a year. Now, 
we should mention, it's abundantly clear in Scripture also, that no man shall come to the Father lest the Father calls him first. See, we're not God's recruiters. We're his recruiting posters. We have to live like the light of the world, and God will use that in his time, in his will, to reach who he chooses. These, you know, man trying to stuff churches with all these programs like purpose-driven life and purpose-driven church and and all these man-centered strategies and programs and stuff, that's not how it works. You're not you're not bringing in truly saving people just by changing the paint color and the music style and the flashing lights and the fancy coffee bar and all this stuff making it making pe- like people are going to the expo center or something. Um, that's not saving people, you know, it's just not. Only God can save by calling somebody to his son and his, and only through his son can that person then be with God, right? So not to mention, I don't think anywhere in there, it says to make disciples. It doesn't say to con every possible emotional person into coming into the church, to spend money. It doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. Um, this isn't part of the, the program. We are supposed to live our lives. We are supposed to be in this world, but not of this world. And so the people that are of the world can see us and want this kind of life for themselves. They want this the character of the believer, the joy of the believer, the faith of the believer. They want that. And when God touches their heart, they will come and say something to you and then... The building a disciple part can start. On our own actions, we're never going to fail. You might get somebody to say a sinner's prayer and everything, but you haven't changed their heart. You haven't reached them unless the Father called them first. You cannot do it. And that's what this altar call, it, it leads to a bunch of people accepting Christ, but not really. And then they fall out of the church and never come back. Um and it leads to organizations who want to take over, stuffing it with people that they can mold to do their little takeover stuff. You know, so altar call can be a dangerous thing. And I just wanted to talk about it. And um, I'm sure a lot of people are not going to agree with me about that being a dangerous situation, but it is. So there we have that. Now we're about ready to go into our Word of Faith study. Before we do that. We'll speak to the Lord in prayer first, and then we will commence. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today in study. We're looking at false teachers. We're looking at false systems. There may be names mentioned, churches mentioned. There may be things mentioned that that people will have a hard time believing, that people will be upset about. Um... But Father, all I ask is that your Holy Spirit guide this session. It guides my words that only truth goes to the people that are listening and that the people are listening, their hearts are open to hear and they're willing to look at something that might go against what they previously thought because that's the hardest part, Father. It's the hardest part is is to reach somebody when it's ingrained in them. Something else is ingrained in them, Father. It's hard to break that stuff loose, but tear the scales from our eyes, Father. Help us come to one accord in your word because there is no private interpretation of Scripture. It's only what you have it you have it meant to mean, and help us discover what that is together 
so we can be in one accord on one page, Father. Thank you for the opportunity that we can fellowship and and study the Bible together with other members of a remnant church from far-flung corners of the earth. And um, it's truly amazing, and we thank you for this blessing. And more importantly, as we keep saying, we we honor you and we worship you as our creator, Father. You are the creator of all things in the heaven and the earth and the seas. And for that, you receive all honor and all glory, Father. In the mighty and holy name of Jesus, amen. Alrighty, on to the word of faith. The origins of the word of faith movement can be traced directly to the metaphysical cults such as Unity School of Christianity, Religious Science, Christian Science, and New Thought movements. Um, Though the father of modern World of Faith movement is often considered to be Kenneth Hagin. His son can still be seen preaching today on TBN. Um, And Charisma Magazine calls him the father of the Word of Faith movement, but the actual honor goes to a guy by the name of E.W. Kenyon from 1867 to 1948. Um, Live, you probably recognize that name, E.W. Kenyon. I sure do. Um, Now, his works were extensively plagiarized by Hagen. So Hagen might be taking credit for it, or he's the modern-day pusher of all of this stuff and he's the one that people look to but the reality is it goes past him it goes past him into the 1800s early 1900s where Kenyon was coming up with these concepts now Kenyon um, was heavily influenced by metaphysical cults which flourished at Emerson College of Oratory where he attended Kenyon in turn was influenced by one Phineas P. Quimby also a very familiar name, 1802 to 1866. Now, Quimby was a student of occultism, hypnosis, parapsychology, and the father of the New Thought movement. So, you know, it's important when we look at some of these things that we know the roots of these theological movements or systems. So we can kind of understand their heresies and their, you know, where they're going with stuff. So this word of faith movement stuff ultimately stems from Quimby, from Quimby, who was a student of occultism, hypnosis, parapsychology, and new thought. That's None of that sounds Christian to me or biblical to me. But these, we got a whole bunch of churches here that are going by the teachings of these three different occultists. So now the first thing that they're into is positive confession. And that's the belief that what is spoken can be brought into literal existence. Believers may simply speak the things which they desire of God, and he's obliged to give it to them. Hence the label, name it and claim it, gospel. Um, This is off-ramping scripture hard and heading right into New Age spirituality, right off the rip. And we just said, we have three New Age occultists that are responsible for all this stuff. Um, if This is metaphysical junk, but you would know it, many of you would, especially if you watch Oprah, you would know this by a different name, and it's called The Secret. That's the, the 
Proclaim what you want and put your spiritual vibrations towards it, towards it because you are a little God. Um, so this is this is the secret, but it's in our Christian churches. Now, Kenneth Hagin um, argues that God created the universe by speaking it into existence in Genesis and that God has endowed his believers with the very same power. Um, and he, he says... Um, making a positive confession of God's promise and believing God's word stirs the power of resurrection, which raised Christ from the dead and brings that promise to fulfillment. The po- stirs the power of re- resurrection. Uh, I don't even know where to go with something like that. Other than it sounds like witchcraft. Um, it just sounds, it, it sounds like witchcraft, doesn't it? Um, now, a more recent variant of positive confession or name and acclaim it is decree and declare. Um, word of faith preachers have called faith a force. So isn't that interesting? Faith is a force. Remember we talked about the Toronto Blessing and the New Apostolic Reformation having their roots back in the early 70s, Right. They kind of got going with all this stuff back in the early 70s. And then when you, you, this might be something for another episode, but many of you probably realize that Hollywood knows a lot of this radical stuff up front. These themes that we see in these movies, a lot of these are foreshadowing something that is regarding the Bible, some end times things or whatever. Some of you know some of these movies are directly about end times things, whatever. I'm not talking about those, but I'm talking about other things like you know superhero movies and um, how at the end of a, a Justice League or a uh, Avengers movie, this big enemy is coming out of the sky with hordes of minions um, and has to fight these superhuman people on Earth. The you know this is this is very heretical and Gnostic. This is the evil one that looks like some kind of monster coming out of the sky is a reference to Christ's second coming and all the little minions are the believed that are raised with him and his angels. And then the ones on the ground, you know, the are the God creatures, the God men, the ones that have ascended to Godhood. You know, and and then we get into the Nephilim giants and and all that stuff, but which you know they, they were called the heroes of old, right? So they turn bad into good. The movies always bring this stuff up. So when we get back to Word of Faith, they're talking about calling faith a force, and all this stuff is rooted in the early seventies. Well, what comes along in nineteen seventy seven? Star Wars. And what do you have there? You have the force. You have the light and the dark side of the force. Now, these Gnostic people will say that God and Satan are equal. One is the light side. One is the dark side. We've talked about this in this podcast before. They are the yin and the yang. And in order for mankind to attain full godhood, you have to master the white light side and the dark side. Look in Star Wars. You have Anakin Skywalker. He's you know, he starts in the light side and then masters the dark side. He, you know, he mingles both of them. The force is very much a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. This black and white thing is their belief of Satan and God being equal. <clears throat> e- equal but opposing, right? 
So there's there's so much that goes on in the Star Wars stuff that 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 blatantly rips off scripture. Now, if you look at the Mandalorian, um, this episode that they have out there now. What is it that they say? You know, he has an affirmation statement that he says over and over. And he says, um, the way, that is the way, right? Um, or this is the way, excuse me. Well, what is the way? What is the way? The way is what the early church and the followers of Christ and the gospel, that's what, that was the way. The followers were the way of Christ, Right. So you have that little ripoff, and then you have this little baby Yoda who's a chosen one. He's going to bring some kind of balance back to the force and all this thing. Um, but he is called the child. Over and over and over again, he's called the child. Um, so this has a Christ-like Messiah or Savior overtones um, with the power of the force or the Holy Spirit, right? Um the ch- the child thing is all about Jesus, and you've heard it. A child is born. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. And again, that might sound farcical to you, but Hollywood does stuff like this all the time. They don't hide all the crazy stuff that they're doing out there in our world. Look at the train derailment thing. How many people think that was set up? And where was a train derailment Netflix movie set in the same town? Was it Centerville or whatever in Ohio? There's a, a movie about a train derailment spilling a bunch of toxic stuff, and then it actually happens in the same town. So... They're always up on this stuff. And as we spoke before, when it talks about lying signs and wonders, a lot of these things in Matthew 24, when Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and there's going to be famines and and all of this stuff, these are things that men can create. False signs, you know, false miracles, false wonders, false disasters, whatever. They can create this stuff on their own, and they do. Um so, yeah, and the, when you get back to it, the, we have the power to speak things into existence. The, the heresy in that is mind-boggling. I would never understand how someone who owns a Bible could go along with any of that, but whatever, let's move on. I'm rambling. Um, the little God's doctrine. The belief that man was created to be an exact duplicate of God. Believers then are little gods on earth. Kevin uh, Kenneth Hagin wrote that God had created humans in the same class of being that he is himself and reasoned that if humans are made in God's image, they are in God's class and thereby God's. Now, we have no further to look than our girl Mary Baker Eddy, founder of Christian Science Church. She came up with this whole routine that like produces like. So basically a horse Mating with a horse doesn't create a hippo, and an apple tree doesn't produce zucchini, you know, that kind of thing. An apple tree produces apples, and two horses mating produces horses. Um, there, But their thing is, therefore, God, being God, can only create gods. And now it gets a lot filthier than that because some of them take it into a sexual connotation with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and somehow all three of them are in some kind of fornication, heresy, to produce, like to literally produce God's us. Um, 
So the whole thing is sickening and it gets ridiculous. Um, the modern roots of this whole thing are the Gnostics, right? The Gnostics have been producing this stuff for thousands of years. In the, the Gnostic Gospel, Philip, you know, is a big source of this. It talks about this stuff right here. That we are, we are gods ourselves. Now, you may actually recall the man we have to thank for our Gnosticism that's out there and corrupting all of our churches. Um, that would be Simon Magus, who tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from Peter. Peter told him that his money would perish with him. Now, Simon, of course, was a magician, and you'll recall that along the line here, we tied the Egyptian magicians faking miracles to the end times false teachers as revealed in Revelation. And our churches are actually witnessing these false miracles now. Um, and what can the beast from the earth do after all? Call down fire from heaven or call down a false spirit of counterfeit miracles. We discussed all that before, right? Now, another bullet point of theirs is the spiritual death of Jesus. The belief that Christ's physical death was insufficient to atone for our sin. He also had to die spiritually. Now, of course, if, if Jesus had died spiritually, then he ceased being God. And if he ceased being God, even for an, a second, he wasn't God to start with. You know, so that's a heresy. Revelation knowledge. And this one's a little tough because I hear our pastor use this phrase all the time. I don't think he means it this way. I hope not. I don't know. The revelation knowledge, the belief that God dispenses to certain believers, apart from the scriptures, secret knowledge of himself. This is a modern day version of the ancient heresy of Gnosticism, again, which the New Testament repeatedly warns of. And of course, they now have apostles and prophets to get these revelations. New Apostolic Reformation, Word of Faith, they have apostles and prophets, so-called. They can now get this revelation knowledge that's aside from what scripture says, they can get this new manna. You know, they can get the, all this new understanding, these new instructions, and the new scripture, so to speak. Health and wealth. The belief that all believers have the right to walk in perfect divine health and prosper financially. This stems from the erroneous view that sickness was paid for by Christ. Christ's spiritual atonement in hell, and that prosperity is a cosmic law ordained by God. So, Word of Faith teaches that complete healing, uh, healing of spirit, soul, and body is included in Christ's atonement and therefore available here and now to all that believe. And they frequently cite Isaiah 53, 5, which says in part, by his stripes we are healed. Um... And Matthew eight seventeen, which uh, says Jesus healed the sick so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet himself took our affirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, because Isaiah speaks in the present tense, we are healed. Word of faith teaches that believers should accept the reality of a healing that is already theirs. First, by understanding that physical healing is part of the New Testament's promise of salvation. Uh, it's reinforced by confessing the Bible verses which assert this healing and believing them while rejecting their own personal doubt. Um, so this isn't to deny that there's pain, sickness, or disease, 
But this is claiming to deny its right to supersede the gift of salvation in Isaiah 53, 5 and other passages. Um, okay, so here I would say this. You do need to believe it's going to happen if you ask for healing. Jesus says time and time again, your faith has healed you. Even James 1, he says to ask without doubting. So believing is, is crucial. But by accepting Christ, we did not receive the gold members perks pass. That it's all included as part of the deal. You know, that is so misleading. Um, people think that they are owed and that it's guaranteed to happen. Because they accepted Christ. But notice when Jesus prays about stuff, what does he say to the Father? He says, if it's your will, Father, that this be done, right? So we have to face the facts that sometimes our healing is not his will for us for whatever reason. You know, the life on this earth is not the prize. He knows that. It's it's the everlasting life after that matters. Um, so Paul had, you know, to poo-poo on this whole, it's guaranteed and it's your right to have it. Paul had that pesky thorn in his side and God told him, you know, he pleaded, Paul pleaded three times to get rid of it. And when God say, my grace is sufficient for you. So healings are not guaranteed in the package. But while your covenant with Christ supposedly guarantees your healing, um, because you don't have it yet, they tell you that in order to unlock your blessings and healings, you must sow into the kingdom financially. It's guaranteed, but if it's being held up, you have to, you know, sow in financially a little bit more and it'll be unlocked. But it is yours because you accepted Christ, so you automatically get the healing. Um, but you just, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to grease the gears a little bit by throwing some money in. That's, that's Word of Faith 101 right there. Um, so a, a, they just believe you have a divine right to prosper, right? So check your Bibles. Mine says we're going to have trouble, not riches and easy peasy lives, right? But they, you have a divine right to prosper. So um, John 6, uh, 1633 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So our comfort that is promised is not, and I repeat not, in the form of worldly goods, success, blessings, and healings, but in faith in Christ. Now, I have a, if you guys haven't looked at Justin Peters, you ought to check him out on YouTube. Um, he's a very interesting guy. I have a quote from him. It says, heresy is never promoted in a manner which exposes its darkness for all to see. Rather, it's poison wrapped up in familiar Christian language to make it more palatable. The Word of Faith movement has craftily packaged its counterfeit gospel to look like the real thing. It's making alarming inroads into Christian churches, including Southern Baptist churches. Many honest, sincere, born-again Christians are being deceived and hurt. Justin Peters. So, And that's it. They use our Christianese. You've heard me say that a bunch of times. They use our Christianese against us just because they say Jesus or Holy Spirit, or Father, doesn't mean that that's what they're really talking about. That's why you have to read your Bibles, folks. So, now we've come to the point where we're going to hear from some of our Word of Faith and NAR prosperity preachers um, who are inspired by all this. Um, but, you know, before we do, again, let's tighten our bonnets a little bit. This notion that we're not to call sin out 
you know, it's preposterous. People get upset when you start when you start naming names. But, you know, ask Paul, why did he call out Alexander the metal worker and others? Why did John call out Diotrephes and uh, 3 John? Um, Jesus called people out. We're not to ignore this stuff, guys. We're, we're to expose it to the light. You know, the whole, the Barney thing, I love you, you love me. That, that whole routine in the church has gone on long enough. Um, and if I were say a fallen rebellious angel who couldn't defeat God outright, but could wreak havoc on his creation, then I would want that exact narrative out there. Let's just look at, I love each other and look past our differences because we all love Jesus, right? We're on the same team. Yada, yada, yada. We're, we're, we're all, we're all Jesus followers. We're on the same team. We should, how dare you? How dare you come out and call somebody out by name? That's not Christian. Well, you know what it is if they're speaking heresy. We're commanded to do it. Um, and that's what we're doing here. So I only got a few people listed on here. Let's just hit a few quotes just to get a general idea of what's going on. Our guy, Kenneth Copeland, said it a couple times, say it again. There's no way that that guy doesn't have a demon actively controlling him from the inside. I just, I can't. He has to be demonically powered. Uh, and so Kenneth Copeland says, and I say this with all respect. So that I don't upset you too bad. But I, I say it anyways. When I read the Bible where he, got, meaning God, says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. Meaning he's also a God because he's a little God. He's a creator. Um, Kenneth also says, don't be disturbed when people accuse you of thinking you are God. They, they crucified me for claiming that I was God. But I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed I walked with him and that was, yeah, he was in me. Hallelujah. That's what you're doing. Hmm. He's, he's supposed to be paraphrasing what, what Jesus said there. It says, don't be disturbed when people accuse you of thinking you are God. And he's paraphrasing Jesus saying they crucified because Jesus is talking to him. This is another one of those things. Jesus is speaking to him. And he's saying, they crucified me for claiming that I was God. I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed I walked with him and that he was in me. And, and Kenneth then adds, hallelujah, that's what you're doing. That's all you're doing. Um, and of course, Kenneth has a coaching tree. Um, so let's see where some of his rotten fruit drops next. T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes. On September 28, 1998, Jake spoke on the Praise the Lord network or show hosted by Paul and Jan Crouch regarding Kenneth Copeland. And he said, quote, Kenneth Copeland sent a prophecy to me and shared that God was going to send me to the White House. And I was so busy in the Potter's house that the idea of going to the White House was totally absurd to me. But I respected him as a man of God and we just prayed over it and received it. So Kenneth also claims to hold the office of prophet there you have that. Thanks, T.D. Jakes. But you can actually listen to clips of Kenneth Copeland when he's cursing COVID-19, where when he says from the office of the prophet of God, he calls himself a prophet. Um, and he claims to speak to him audibly. This is where, for some of you older folks who remember the gong show back in the 70s, maybe early 80s, we need the gong. Because that's a gonger right there. 
Uh, but Jake's, T.D. Jake's and Kenneth Copeland are tied together. Now, Jake's is a oneness Pentecostal, meaning that um, the, these people, oneness Pentecostals, believe that the Trinity is not three separate and one. It's just one in three different forms. So it's God, but he turns into the Holy Ghost or he turns into flesh to be Jesus. But it's not three separate yet one simultaneously. So he's already believing in a heretical thing. From the Potter's House website, um, I pulled this. There is one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect, and externally existing in three manifestations, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's from T.D. Jakes' church, that you, there's only one God. That's what the Muslims say. Um, now, he does give him the creator of all things, but he says he eternally exists in three manifestations. So that means, you know, he's not three separate, but one. He's one that has three different outfits or avatars or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> now, in a Wall Street Journal article, which described Jakes as a country preacher with a multi-million dollar religious empire... He was quoted saying, this is T.D. Jake saying, I am himself. I am the power and the kingdom and the glory. And I kind of like it that way. I am the power and the kingdom. That's heresy one. And it's little God's language. Bullet point number two there. He's a God. He is the power and the kingdom. He's a little God. Um <clears throat> Jake says that individual churches have the right to decide the LGTBQ stuff, um, which, you know, of course, takes away the authority of the Bible and gives it to man in the churches. And now, like the rest of this crew, it's a monarchy. He is, or was, prepping his daughter to take over the company. Oh, whoops. I mean, whoops. Take over the ministry. Now, surprise, surprise, it's his daughter, another female pastor. These people just keep their empires rolling through the family. It's not the next person that, you know, that God is raising up that is being anointed for something. These people keep it in the family, so the money keeps rolling in the family. <clears throat> Let's look at Paula White. We're, we're running a little light here on time. Let's go. We all remember her as a spiritual advisor to the modern uh, Cyrus, Donald J. Trump, you know. You remember him, right? He was the president that said he didn't need forgiveness from Jesus because he doesn't sin and then held the Bible upside down sideways and all kinds of other stuff for a grotesque photo op um, to prove to people he was a Christian during the riot. Now, I get this is, again, going to blow some uh, wigs off, but Scripture is Scripture. And Paul says he does not permit a woman to teach in the church or have authority over a man, which is 1 Timothy 2.12. He's to be the husband of one wife. This eliminates a woman from being an overseer or a pastor. He is the husband of one wife. And you can find that verse, 1 Timothy 3, 2. And you can also find it in Titus 1, 5 through 9. And, you know, our modern churches, they have plenty of women pastors. But Scripture says that's not the right way to go. And you can say, well, they have them, so it must be right because they are the church and the pastors would know best, wouldn't they? How, how would we know when the pastors know? They're being led by the Holy Spirit after all. Well, I would say, what about 
these other churches that now have, are ordaining gay pastors. We know that's wrong, but they're bringing them into the church anyway, aren't they? So why wouldn't they bring women in as well? It's the same thing. It's it's the same difference. Neither one of them should be pastors. Now, um, this whole thing is just the image of the beast. Remember, who is venerated as an equal to Jesus in the Roman system? It's Mary. So this is all goddess worship. But woman was created as the helper to man, not the leader. Again, it's the model of Christ's church. By having a woman pastoring, you are in fact violating God's model and therefore creating a false image. Um, and this one was in the White House, of all things. Um, but you know, just understand, ladies, if you're listening, women have powerful church uh, ministry roles. And those roles are no less important. Um, but it's just that God set a natural order of things, and we are to follow this by sticking to our roles. And a woman's role in the church is not as a pastor. But again, they have powerful gifts and powerful roles in ministry. We're just supposed to follow the structure that he set. That's it. Nobody's trying to pick on any women or anything, but that's just not the way it's supposed to be, and it's in the Bible. So T.D. Jakes, you know, he's also tied to the spiritual advisor of the modern-day Cyrus, Donald J. Trump. Um, he tweeted, and with a picture of Paula White, God is about to unlock something in your life. This is your year to manifest double fruitfulness. Manifest. Right there, there's that language. Manifest. Vibrate. Speak into existence. The secret. This occultism that goes all the way back to Quimby and all them. There it is. It's that language that they're speaking in here. Now, T.D. Jakes gives one heck of a, a sermon, doesn't he? But there's a lot of error in it. There's a lot of error in it if you really listen close. <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> but again, yeah, that manifest, that word manifest that he uses, that's New Age mysticism. Um, now, one of Paul's greatest hits is claiming that Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God. He was just a fruit, a first fruit. So if you're following that, that's little God's language. Um, <clears throat> if if he's not, if he's not, if he's just first fruit, not the only begotten Son of God, that means we're the other begotten sons, right? That's little God's language, and it's pure heresy. So for all of you, oh Donald Trump, he's the Savior that Jesus sent, and his. You know, God's blessing is on him. Well, this is the kind of people he surrounded himself with. If he was any form of Bible student, which he's not, let's just be honest, Donald Trump is the exact opposite of somebody that's interested in reading Scripture. He would know the things that she's saying is wrong, and he has no idea because he doesn't care because he's up there to dupe Christians into votes. That's it. Um, <clears throat> now here... Paula White says, anyone that tells you to deny yourself is from Satan. Let me say that again. Paula White, spiritual advisor to Donald Cyrus Trump, says, anyone that tells you to deny yourself is from Satan. Okay. Let's see what Matthew 16, 24 says. Then Jesus, Jesus said this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, I just realized something. 
Jesus must be from Satan. According to Paula White. That's that's that is uh, that is just beyond heresy. That is beyond our savior she's likening to Satan. Now, more more than likely she's not actually trying to compare the two or connect the two. It's probably because she doesn't know what the scripture says. More than likely she doesn't know that Jesus is in here saying you must take up your cross and deny yourself. So ridiculous. Stephen Furtick. Let's get on to this guy. Or four minutes left. Stephen Furtick says, when God said, I am, to Moses, you know, my name is I am, he was trying to get him to see you are as I am. So Moses, you know, in Exodus 3.13 through 14, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So Stephen Furtick is saying that God was trying to get Moses to understand that he's God too. No. Exodus 3, 13-14 says just the opposite. When you go there, tell them, I am has sent you. Me. This has nothing to do with you're a little God in any way, shape, or form. Now, in this sermon, he says um, in John sixteen seven, Jesus says, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Trying to explain the passage, Ferdick goes on to claim um, that Jesus said the following. This is supposedly a paraphrase of Jesus from Stephen uh, Ferdick. No, I am not leaving you. I am changing forms. One is Pentecostal modalism, T.D. Jakes. I am changing forms. See, up until now, I have walked with you, but when I send my spirit, I will be in you. And now, Jesus is taken from their sight and hidden in a cloud. But he didn't leave. He just changed forms. He did not disappear. He was just no longer visible. Instead, he was internal. He said, it's good that I'm ghosting you. It's good that I leave in physical form because then I can give you, uh, then I can give you in spiritual form. Then I can direct you from a deeper place. Modalism, one is Pentecostal, T.D. Jakes, heresy. Now, what did what did Jesus actually say? Acts. I got let's do this. Acts one nine. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Acts 1.9 says, yes, he went. He didn't change forms. He didn't become a mist. He didn't become a vapor. He wasn't, he wasn't using the cloud as a dressing room to change his clothes. He went to heaven. Now, um, Stephen isn't going to go out of here without some little God's language. So let's hit this real quick. There, um, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, gone, the new is here. So you do become something different. I got 50 seconds left. And while we're at it, let's hear Stephen besmirch the Lord's character one last time. What God did when he sent his son, he broke the law for love. 
Recall, will you, the transgression of law is what? It's sin. So Stephen is saying that God is a sinner. Um, He's a sinner because he broke, God broke the law for love for you. And I think that'll be about it for this episode. Out of time, Rick Warren and his purpose-driven heresy will be next. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I know it's a little rough episode coming back, but just trying to put some info out there. You guys take care. Be blessed. We'll see ya.